Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighters Fury Inside the Heart of a Champion with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighters Fury on AM790 The Ticket. Ah, good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Yes, we're still on at 10 o'clock, and it's football season. That's right. I won. I won, beast. You bastard. You thought that I wasn't going to get my way when I first brought this up to you this week. I was like, well, what's the difference? You guys don't have anything set for football yet. Let's go. Keep us on at 10. Let me get my shut eye. And I won. That's all that needs to be said. This football season, I ain't moving. 10 o'clock, my slot. Not rolling back to nine, as has been tradition now for like the last seven years. Nope, sticking right here. I will not talk about fourth and 17. You guys can hear me talk about that tomorrow, because I'm not over it yet. I'm not ready. Instead, I'm going to talk about what will make me happy, and that's fighting. Fighting, mixed martial arts, boxing, that's what makes me happy. So we'll get into that right now. Yesterday, UFC 242 from Abu Dhabi. You have the main event. You had Habib Nurmagomedov against Dustin Poirier. Habib does work. He's able to retain his title. He gets him in a third-round submission, rear naked choke. Uh, very entertaining fight. Look, Habib's the man. I, I, I don't know what, what else can be said about him. I went out there, and I picked Dustin Poirier, went out on a limb. But I did tell you guys, I'm super biased on this. I really, really like Dustin Poirier. He's one of my favorite fighters, quite frankly. Um, I'm, a, I'm very fond of, uh, of, his, of, his, of his boxing coach, Daya Davis. Uh, that dude's the man. He's absolutely outstanding. So, and really, there were there were tangible things that I thought Dustin could bring to the table in this fight against Habib that would have made some issues. I thought one of them was um, being able to push through those fourth and fifth rounds, being able to really hit a level if he were able to strike Habib that uh, that he wasn't really able to deal with with Connor. Like, even though this fight went longer than the Connor fight did. Um, I felt like Dustin put up a better fight than Connor did by a long shot. First of all, that neck crank got in on him very early. And that submission that Dustin kind of right off of uh, right off of Habib, like it was nothing twice. And Dominic Cruz made this a point. Um, I mean, Connor tapped to immediately, like as soon as he got neck cranked. So y- y- you like the showing, you like the fight that Dustin showed there. Second round got there, got a good crack on him, but Look, this has to be said, and, and Dustin brought this up a bit, uh, against Habib because everybody's going to focus on the wrestling and the dominance and, and the ground stuff. And obviously, that's the part of the story. That's the bread and butter. That's what makes him special. But this is a couple fights in a row now against really, 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 really good strikers in, in Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier where Habib's had them flummoxed, just really, really flummoxed with their best assets. I don't know if it's underestimating. I don't know, you know, Dustin had some really intellectual breakdowns of this after the fight where he's just like, just an awkwardness to him. You're just not used to. He just kind of, he throws things that other people don't throw. And it's not to say that they're hurting you. It's just like you're not prepared for it. You're already so focused on the takedown. And really the first takedown led to that. Like in the first round, it, it was up against the cage and, you know, Khabib threw a combination. It wasn't the fact that he threw it at Dustin. It was the fact that it kind of just shook him, and then boom, he's on his ass already, and and has four minutes to to deal with uh, with 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 Nurmagomedov right on his back. So there was that exchange. You know, the second round he got his best punches on him, 
Um, but even then, you know, Habib was willing to throw. He wasn't. He wasn't shook. He's not shook being on the feet. This isn't a guy who who looks like a deer in headlights when anybody throws some some serious shots. He's turning into a very well-rounded fighter. It's not like he's going to go out there and he's going to knock anybody out or you're going to start seeing him go out there and outbox anybody, but he doesn't have to. It just needs to be enough of an element. It's it's as if you were to take a good striker and their takedown defense is just so good. Uh, Wonderboy's like this. You know, Wonderboy's stand-up is probably as good as anybody's in the welterweight division, right? And one of the things that made him special when he was starting to fight for the title was the fact that nobody could really take him down. Like, it took a special kind of fighter like Tyrone Woodley to really take him down. Um, Habib's kind of gone to that level. Like, he is so good and so a cut above everybody when it comes to the ground game and mauling people that he's gotten his striking to such a respectable level where if he could just throw anything in your area combination-wise that keeps them off guard or doesn't have a move in the same way, the other stuff's going it, to, it, it's going to create an easy road to get to what he really wants to do. And, you know, that's that's what Dustin had to deal with because you saw, I don't know if it was a, a, a case of the heat or if it was just he was flummoxed by the style, but you saw about, uh, uh, you know, a, after the second flurry in the second round and started early in the third round before he, he jumped into that really close guillotine. The punches were very wide. They were loopy. They looked like he had really fatigued shots. Uh, you could tell he was very frustrated. And I think that's kind of what the guillotine came into. It seemed like a bit of a Hail Mary, which almost worked. Um, the only thing that he said was that he wished that he would have sold out for more, that he would have pulled it into full guard and would have been able to uh, to lock it in a little bit better. He kind of kept it He kind of kept it half guard, so there was still that out for Habib. But it was a deep, man, deep. I mean, even Khabib said, like, look, that was not that was not good. That was close. And it was just a really fun fight. It was a fun it was a fun fight. Um it showed just I that's one of those fights where you are, are really starting to appreciate the kind of champion Namaga Madoff is. Really, truly. I th- I think that's what that comes out of. You know, he was talking yesterday because when you're an undefeated fighter, I think Floyd Mayweather dealt with this a lot when people want to see you lose or they want to see the chink in the armor and it doesn't come people are always looking for that next guy instead of just appreciating what we just watched and I think because I picked Dustin to win this fight um I came out of that just so appreciative of how good Habib is he is amazing you know he really dealt with everything he 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 flummoxed a a, a an amazing boxer maybe the best best boxer in the division he dealt with a serious, serious submission and popped out of it and then ended it on his own submission. Um, I think that, you know, there was even that point where he said that he got out of the first guillotine and then he said in the post fight that he allowed him to get the second guillotine because he knew those arms were getting tired. Because that's the thing with that, with that, with that move is you are squeezing so hard with your arms. I mean, you are putting everything you have into that to submit your opponent. And if you can't get them, it's uh it, it's it's a bad road. It's a bad road. Like it's sometimes it's worth the risk, absolutely, but if you don't get it, then you're in a bad spot. It reminded me very much of um when John Jones took on Vitor Belfort. When B- Vitor got the the arm got the arm bar on him and you're like, "Oh, John's in trouble here." That that that's legit. And I'm talking 
Vitor Belfort, who is was on all the good stuff, all the good stuff, and just an absolute mauler. Not that John wasn't either. I mean, we don't. It's not like I'm, uh, not like I'm pitting him against the cleanest athlete in the world. But I'm saying, John being able to deal with that adversity, still come back and beat a guy who is at his absolute peak of devastation and how good he was. You're left with nothing but shaking your head at the greatness. That's what it is. Like, I I know how good Dustin Poirier is. Seeing the road it took him to get to where he was, beating champion after champion after champion. He doesn't talk any bleep. He's the nicest dude in the world. So you know that you really have to earn everything to go out there and get a title fight. And then he does, and you lose that way. You feel for him because you're like, I, I don't know if he'll get back here because you know it's not the sexiest name on the planet. His fighting style is as pleasing as it gets, but this goes to the Barkers. You know, like we just saw Conor McGregor lose in that fashion, and Dana White's like, ah, yeah, he'll get a title fight again, though. If Tony doesn't accept, they'll go Conor. You're never going to hear that with Dustin. You're never going to hear that with Dustin. So that's why that loss hurts for him so much. That's why you see that emotion bleed out because he knows. He knows what it took. That's why he was so emotional winning the belt against Max Holloway because he knows like how long that road took there. He knows how, how long it took to get to that point and that there were no shortcuts. And when he means no shortcuts, he means I can't talk my way into fights, man. I can't talk my way into the this, to this status. I have to go out there. I have to fight the most violent fights. I have to beat the, the, the most vicious people in this division to even get a sniff. And so when you hear him not, not, not get that yesterday... I mean, if he wins that fight, it's an absolute life game changer for him. But unfortunately, um, he's he's in there with with a guy who may potentially be one of the best to ever do it. He may be, you know, he's he he called yesterday for best pound for pound. I think right now the only argument is John Jones, and I know that there's a lot of voters that don't like putting John up there because of his positive tests. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Khabib number one after yesterday's performance. But I don't come out of that yesterday thinking anything less of Dustin Poirier. What I come out of yesterday I was thinking, damn, I think I think we got one in in, in in Habib as like one of the greats. And when you talk about you know a potential matchup against George St Pierre, yeah, you may say, I think for the longest a lot of people were like, yeah, George George kick his ass, but will he? I mean, we're starting to see Habib not only dominate, but we're seeing him now get through adversity, and it's those types of guys that you're like, oh, they're special. When we saw John Jones. Get out of that armbar from Vitor Belfort. You're like, oh, this guy's de- different. When we saw John Jones down two rounds to Alexander Gustafsson, come back, win his title in a very, very closely contested bloodbath between them both. You're like, oh, that guy's next level special. It's getting through those moments where you really start appreciating the greatness of how good. Like, I think we all went into this fight, and, and if there's one guy after this, you're like, you know, Tony's going to beat him. You know, Tony's the guy. Tony's got the golden tickets. I come out of that fight last night, and I'm like, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. As much as I like Tony Ferguson, and I think he's an absolute badass, and he's got cardio for days, he's a vicious fighter, I'm watching Habib get through every kind of style now and getting through all kinds of adversity. I don't know. I think it's time to, I think it's time to put aside all your doubts with the guy and start realizing, yeah, this guy is the real deal in far as far as everything's concerned. There's not there's not a lot of holes to that game anymore. Yes, he's not the best boxer in the world, but he's been good enough 
that the two best boxers or strikers in the division have both been flummoxed. Connor got knocked down, and Dustin couldn't get his game going. And that's never been the case with them. And I don't know if Tony would either. I don't, especially with Tony being as slow a starter as he is. So, yes, I absolutely want to see that fight next. And if I were to put it on anybody who could do it in the lightweight division, yeah, I would pick Tony Ferguson. But you can't be very confident right now with Tony sitting on the sidelines for over a year or half the year um, dealing with all he's dealt with, coming off an injury, and the Khabib really being at the top of the game. You can't feel as confident as you were. You know, if this was back in the day, they've tried to make this fight four times. And if this was, you know, the infamous UFC 203 where Habib misses weight, Tara Masu, all that stuff, yeah, I mean, I would definitely pick Tony Ferguson because Khabib hasn't been through those those wars yet. Khabib hadn't been through those trials and tribulations yet. He hadn't been through the mental warfare of Conor McGregor yet. He hadn't been through nearly getting choked out by Dustin Poirier yet. But as the big-time experience racks up, as the adversity that Khabib has been through adds up, you got to feel better about him going into a championship fight with a guy who hasn't been able to be as active. It's kind of like the roles are reversed. You know, back when Tony was the more active guy on the big win streak and Habib was like dealing with injuries, weight cut issues, all this stuff, never really getting the right opponent, uh, feeling disrespected, never was able to kind of formulate what he needed to. I think we all would have taken Tony Ferguson. But now that the roles are a little bit reversed, Tony feeling a little bit disrespected by the company, dealing with family stuff, dealing with the the mental health stuff, uh, dealing with inactivity, dealing with a devastating knee injury. While Habib is here and he's taken on the tops in the division and, you know, he's dealt with a last-second opponent change in Ally Aquinta. He's dealt with all the stuff that went into the Connor fight and dealing now with Dustin Poirier fighting in his home, uh, in, in front of a home crowd basically with a lot of pressure on him, his father in his corner, and rising to the top. Not saying Tony Ferguson can't win that fight, but I think I I think I feel worse about Tony's chances than I ever have with that potential matchup because Habib's absolutely amazing right now. He's absolutely amazing. We'll be back with more on Fighters Fury after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM seven ninety The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. It is Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. UFC 242, uh, yesterday in the in the wrap-up of it, uh, Paul Felder, he beat Edson Barbosa. Close fight. I actually had Edson winning that fight. Both of the judges who had a 30-27, I don't really know what they were seeing. Uh, I had a 29-28 for Edson. Um, I definitely could see an argument 29-28 for Paul Felder, so I didn't think that the... The, I didn't think the result was egregious, but I thought it sucked that we had the judges seeing something that differently. And you're always wondering, like, well, what are they seeing so much differently than all of us are in that building? And I know that yesterday they kept making a point of this, and I was wondering how it was going to affect the fighters because they kept making a point of the heat and what that was doing to these guys. It was like 123 heat index in that building. So... Yeah, I was curious what that was going to result in, but uh, it seemed okay. I mean, guys were tired, but I didn't feel like anybody wilted under it uh, too bad, but, you know, maybe the judges were distracted by the heat or something like that. Um, Curtis Blades also had a great showing. He had uh, he had himself a, a second-round TKO win, 
And yeah, Curtis Blades is interesting because I feel like this guy, he is only 28 years old, and he is wrecking everybody he basically faces that's not Francis Ngannou. Everybody. I mean, he's really, really been impressive every time he goes in there. He has a lot of those those blueprint tools that, you know, Habib has or a great wrestler does with his ground and pound. And, you know, this guy used to be a little bit of, you know, just grind guys out till he gets to the decision. That's really just not the case. He's a very violent fighter. The uh, the kind of bullying that he does to, to, to folks. So, I mean, he, he there's no reason to think that Curtis Blades can't be a champion one day in the UFC. There really isn't. Um, it's going to be tough because Francis is going to get back in that title picture. It does a couple things for me. I'll tell you, to, to do a little bit of MMA math, it does a couple things. One, it makes you appreciate just how damn good Francis Ngannou is uh, to, to be that kind of scary and beat a guy in Curtis Blades who, don't forget, you know, Francis was coming off uh, a couple losses. He was coming off a loss to Stipe, coming off a loss to Derek Lewis, and then taking on a guy who seemingly was at the peak of his powers, coming off that vicious win over Alistair Overeem where he busted him open. And Francis won that fight again quickly. Um... So you think about that, and then you think about how what Stipe was able to do to Francis, even though I don't think Stipe sounded the same since that fight. Stipe sounds, I mean, he sounds like he took a punishment in that fight. He really does. But for Curtis, you definitely see a guy who I think is caliber one day of having a UFC belt around his waist. I think he's, I think he's absolutely tremendous. So that was my takeaway from him yesterday. But the big news yesterday. Let's get down to it. Let's get down to brass, as we like to say, let's get down to brass tacks, man. Let's get down to business here. All right. The only thing we care about down here in Miami yesterday, as far as the big news was concerned, you already know. Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, BMF belts on the line, Madison Square Garden, November, UFC 244. It's happening, people. It's happening. It was announced yesterday. It was finalized. George Masvidal, Nate Diaz, two bad mother bleepers squaring off in an octagon to see who the baddest dude on the planet is. I love it. I'm so happy the UFC finally decided to come to their senses. It seemed like they were waffling on it. Dana's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if Nate Diaz, if maybe he'll be here every three years. Who knows? No, 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 no. If Nate Diaz says that he wants that fight and George says he wants that fight, it should be the easiest fight to make on the planet. What are we talking about here? If two guys uh, if two guys in an arena full of people tell you they want to fight each other, why should there be any hurdles about it? And now there's not. It's going to be the main event, five rounds, which is awesome. No no chicanery with the judges. You get to you get to let it go a little bit longer. Two blood and guts warriors, two guys that aren't easy to knock out. Two guys who have just looked absolutely phenomenal. Two guys that, you know, it's so funny because I, I remember from Media Day a couple of weeks ago where I asked George, I'm like, you find it weird that the fight that the fans want the most is between two guys that the UFC seemingly doesn't want to embrace? You know, like Dana White famously said that Nate Diaz isn't a needle mover. He isn't a needle mover. And then he got in that arena full of people in Anaheim, and he's just like, I guess he is now. And George, a guy who's been in the game for 16 years, and for whatever reason, I don't know what the secret sauce has been. Uh, obviously, people love knockouts. Uh, people love a guy 
shutting up a guy who talks a lot of bleep, which George did to Ben Askren. Uh, his knockout against Darren Till was absolutely phenomenal in Liverpool. And his stardom as at a different level than it ever has been. But neither one of those guys has really had like the full embrace that Conor McGregor has or George St. Pierre has. I don't know what it is. I tell you what, man, you got two real dudes in this one. That press conference is going to be – I don't really know what to expect that press conference, quite frankly. I don't know. Cause they it was both super necessary. Super necessary, George. I mean, like, you got two guys in here who they have respect, but they are fighting for something that's very important. And they don't mess around, and they're very real when it comes to it. George has punched people in the face at press conferences or people who have talked during his press conferences. Nate Diaz has rolled up on people at press conferences or events if they thought somebody was talking trash. They're not going to hide it. This isn't Twitter finger stuff. They are going to go out and they're going and they're going to slay you. And what happens when those when those two come together and it's an absolute concoction? I don't know. I hope it's just badassery. Badassery? That's not a word. What? No, I don't think so. That's not a word. But anyway, I just hope that it's just like this. Just concoction of like violence and awesomeness, man. It's just it, it really has everything you could possibly want, man. Because I think the thing that I love the most about it is the fans made this happen. You know? Like they made it happen. Obviously the fighters made it happen, but the fans demanded this. And when the idea came out of Nate Diaz's mouth, immediately everybody's just like, Oh yeah, I want that. And all the stupid stuff about, well, it's not a championship fight. Well, Five rounds? Could you make it a main event? Is it pay-per-view? Well, why when it's Conor McGregor and he wants to fight Nate Diaz, is this a thing? And you're just like, oh, yeah, he wants to fight Nate Diaz. And, of course, we're going to put it on top of Holly Holm and Misha Tate. It's like, all right, so what are we waiting for? Like, if you can make it with Conor, you, you can make you Nate and, and George. You can do that. There's no rule. You're the president, sir. Dana, there's no rules that say you had to you had to put championship fights whenever you want. You put championship fights on Fox Sports One and Fuel TV and ESPN Plus. You haven't only put title fights on pay per views. That's not a rule. Um, you've had pay per views that you've just put on free TV because championship fights have fallen through before. This is just the fight people want to see, like. What, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather, when's the last time he cared about a real championship? They made a fake belt. He took on Conor McGregor. They made a belt out of snakeskin. And they said it was worth $3 million, even though they just kind of left it hanging around in the lobby, no matter what. Why can't George Masvidal and Nate Diaz be a main event fight, even if there's no belt on the line? At this point, what do you care who the champion is? You know, the funny thing is, there were like all these reports when this fight was happening. It was interesting. Like, Ariel Hawani was kind of uh, unfolding all the details of this, and it was like, yeah, like they wanted to make Colby versus Usman, and Usman said, uh, or Colby wasn't getting the demands that he wanted, and now this is like the second time Colby's been in prime position for a championship fight, and for whatever reason, they can't get to the goal line on that. Then they started going Usman versus George. Um, then Usman apparently wanted a lot of a lot of negotiations, and Helwani said like, yo, it was, it was to the point where it was so bad that they were considering stripping Kamar Usman, which is just like, what? Can you do that? You can just go strip the guy for what? 
Um, but I guess they've done it. Like they've, you know, they've more done it with interim championship championships. They haven't really done it. Then there were talks of like George versus Leon Edwards for a vacant title. So it's like you're just throwing a Molotov cocktail into something that doesn't need to be that complex. Like you go out, you figure out the Colby versus Usman fight. I said it after Colby's performance. I thought George with his flying knee against Ben Askren obviously deserves to be in the championship picture. He definitely does. There's there's no question about that. Um, Nate, who is starting to put himself into a star position, I think is always going to be in the championship picture, much like Connor is now. But with the heat, the natural rivalry, the win streaks, the most... The, the title fight that made the most sense was Usman versus Colby. I don't know why this is so hard to make. I don't know what the problem is with getting these guys in the cage, but that fight still needs to happen because rankings-wise, you need to know who is the top welterweight. But either way, I mean, you could have them fight for whatever belt you want. Right now, the two guys at 170 pounds that people care about the most is Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, and that's not even a question. So they may not be fighting for the championship. They are fighting for their BMF, Bad Mother Bleeper belt, whatever you want to say. But in reality, what they have going for them more than anything is the fans care about these guys fighting more than anybody right now, more than anybody in that division, and it's not close. So if that's not a good enough reason to be a main event fight at Madison Square Garden, what is? Ultimately... People just want to be entertained by fights. It's nice when somebody gets strapped uh, strapped up with a, a a a a gold belt and it says you're the best in the world. But you know we've seen th- this has been tested in boxing time and time again. People didn't care about at a certain point what belts Tyson was fighting for, what Floyd was fighting for, what Manny Pacquiao was fighting for. They just want to see him fight. You know, a lot of the times that belt is a stepping stone. It gives you clout to get to the big fights. I mean, it, it's really true. You know, it, it really, especially in boxing, these are just sanctioning bodies. You basically, it, it's it's like a club. You pay a, a certain part of your purse to be part of a, a a membership to get to get to get some kind of fancy jewelry to waltz around in because people like it. It, it, it gives you some kind of recognition. It gives you some kind of honorability. Um, it says you're one of the best in the world. It does come with certain prestige. But for those who don't need it, why do they want to pay their money? to the IBF, the IBO, the whatever. In the UFC, a lot of the times, the importance of being champion is your contract has a different clause if you're champion and you make different money. That's the importance of it, really. But if these guys get to a certain point where that doesn't matter, if you get to play by the Conor McGregor rules or the GSP rules or the Brock Lesnar rules or the Nate Diaz rules now or the George Masvidal rules now, what do the belts matter? If you're getting the paycheck that's good, as good or better than a champion, you don't need belts. If the fans care about you more and you're as important in their eyes than any champion you have in the roster, all respect to Henry Cejudo or Max Holloway or Robert Whitaker or Israel Adesanya, all respect to those guys. It's not that they're not tremendous fighters, but if they didn't have those belts, you wouldn't care about them as much. If you have guys like Nate and Jorge who don't need belts to have that care come from the fans, what does it matter if they're fighting for a belt? What is it? Who cares? 
They don't care. All they want is a lot of zeros at the end of the night. And and to, and to have a fat bank account. They already have the recognition from the people. But they are fighting for a belt. They are fighting for the bad mother BMF. bleeper belt. The BMF belt is a thing. But I'm saying like the idea of world champion. Yes. You know how many world champions are walking around? BMF is better. BMF is better. It's a, there was a there was a point I think it was Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. They recently fought for the belt of most violent, most violent UFC fighter. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant marketing scheme, and it was for a fight night. And there was no real belt, but it was just a good, cool, catchy title. And you want to know something? The fans loved it. You just wanted to see that fight. Belts are important. They're cool. It's important to recognize from a time to time who the guy who has the most title defenses are. The Mighty Mouse records. The John Jones records, the Anderson Silva records, maybe Khabib's on his way to his own record. That's all important. I'm not saying it's not important, but you have to recognize why those things are in place in reality. And sometimes they're not needed. And this is a case where it's not needed. We're back after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. Texture rights in 67974. Diaz should just have his own division. It's called Cool Mother Bleepers, who just do cool bleep. That was the best, one of the best interviews I've ever seen. It was with Brett Okamoto. And he goes, uh, so what do you want? He goes, I just want to do cool bleep. And that's and that's what he came out with, with the whole George Masvidal flying knee between them. Um, it's 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 going to be an, an absolutely excellent fight. Uh, Steve and I were talking during the break because I saw that his management had reached out to Manny Diaz and has requested the turnover chain to uh, to I'm, what I can only assume is let George walk out to the ring wearing the turnover chain. Now, the one big thing is this November 2nd, uh, two things need to happen. One, we need to have some massive watch party day. Now, it's going to turn out this may be the more important Miami matchup of the night is going to be George Masvidal fighting Nate Diaz over... UM against FSU. But you never know what the bounce back could be. I don't know. I mean, Miami's 0-2, and FSU needed overtime, really a missed extra point, to beat UL UL Monroe, whatever the hell it was yesterday. Raging Cajuns. The Raging Cajuns, yeah. You know, so I don't know what this is going to be. I will say, um, if Masvidal should go out with with any chain, because I know they said they specifically want the 305 chain, Maybe go with the OG chain. Maybe that's that seems like it has the best karma on it out of all of them right now, if you believe in that kind of stuff. Or if you're like all the other Canes fans who yesterday were crying and bitching and like, no rings, no chain, and I just want wins. It's like, okay, yeah, well, that's the that's 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 what lost you the game, wearing wearing the turnover chain and touchdown ring. I didn't even notice the touchdown rings yesterday. Were they a thing yesterday? Not that I know of. I don't think they don't. I they think probably they, scrubbed them off the internet. I thought that, like... Maybe I was looking up and down because I was writing a lot of stuff during the game, um, but I don't feel like I noticed them wearing the rings yesterday. And I didn't. I went to the Canes football Twitter account, and I didn't see them flash up the rings. Now, mind you, the Canes got punched in the face to start that game. They were down like seventeen nothing. So maybe it's one of those cases where the touchdown rings have their own rules. They can only be for leads. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that was the case during the Gators game. They were just busting them out. They were excited about it, but. Maybe Dan. Where's Dan? Danny knows got accept. This is all stuff I'm going to bring up tomorrow. Let me get back to fighting. Um, so, a couple things I want to bring up after the after the fight. You had Dustin Poirier. Uh, he was asked by somebody about the bad mother bleeper belt and asking, "Would you fight George Masvidal 
Would you fight the winner of Masvidal, uh, Nate Diaz, for the Bad Mother Bleeper title? This was interesting. So Dustin comes out and he says, no. George is a buddy of mine, and I don't sell out like effing Colby Covington does. In fact, I'll probably go down and help George for that fight. Frosty. Frosty. Interesting. Now, Colby, in the whole midst of the MSG drama, did uh, come out and very nasty at George. I think the weird thing is everybody seems, everybody seems to be under this impression they're friends. I don't. I didn't get that impression. Now, I don't know the history there. Um, those guys have worked out at the same gym for a long time, but if they're not, if they are friends, they're playing this up very well because whenever either one was brought up to one another, didn't exactly seem like it was at the peachiest of levels right now. And after the 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 stuff that's going back and forth on social media, doesn't seem like it. It's an interesting thing. You know, Kobe's like one of the most hated guys in the sport right now, and he's at a gym with a lot of guys that are kind of all fighting for the same stuff that he is. Uh, and that stuff brings tension. We've seen that before, man. We've seen that with Rashad Evans versus John Jones. We've seen that at Team Alpha Male. We've seen it a lot of places where guys at gyms are all fighting in the same path. And generally, somebody has to get chosen. And... I will say the one thing that I find interesting is even though Masvidal right now is a, I think a bigger star than Colby. Um, Colby is represented by the owner of American Top Team, so if somebody if if it does get down to us, somebody has to go, like a loser leave town match. I feel like Dan Lambert's going to go with the guy that he represents, um, but I don't know. We'll find out. I, I maybe this all blows over and everybody works out kumbaya. But it was a little bit frosty in that post-fight press conference, that's for sure. Um, the other thing that came out of yesterday, Conor McGregor has called for his rematch in Moscow. Um, this is all going to come down. I'm going to tell you what. Conor's going to be the backup plan if, if Tony if Tony pulls the move that Usman and Covington does where they try and swagger a little bit too much and say, no, 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 these are my demands to make this fight happen. They're going to pull the rug and go with Conor. They're not gonna. They're not gonna back up the Brinks truck for for Tony Ferguson. They're gonna say no, Tony. Fight the guy for the belt, win, and then we talk. Um, if not, we're gonna go with the Connor fight, which is gonna be a barn on box office success. So that's why Dana throws that out there. Also, starts to be more willing to to entertain the GSP stuff. I feel like all of that stuff is a play to go into negotiations with Tony Ferguson and say let's not get too harsh with this because if you do. I'm going to go get a bigger fight. We just did this with you with uh, with UFC 244 and MSG. Both the guys at welterweight thought, oh, no, no, you have to give me the fight. And they're like, oh, no, we don't. We're going to go make an even bigger fight. We're going to make Nate Diaz versus Masvidal. So I think that's what all that was yesterday. Uh, a couple of boxing notes. Next week, you have Devin Haney's returning to the ring next Friday in New York, uh, taking on Zaur Abdulayev. He is. Uh, they're going to be fighting for the interim WBC lightweight uh, championship. If you guys haven't watched Devin Haney yet? I recommend it. That dude's an absolute badass. Check him out. Tyson Fury's also taking on Otto Wallen next week in Las Vegas. That is for what they are calling Fury's. They actually put this on ESPN. Really, Fury's lineal heavyweight championship like that. Oh my god, Fury's lineal heavyweight championship like that's the thing. Um, this is obviously a big deal because him and Deontay Wilder supposedly have an agreed-upon date in February to rematch. That, of course, is contingent upon 
Tyson Fury winning this fight and Wilder winning his fight against Luis Ortiz, which, man, that's not an easy fight for Deontay Wilder. Really, really isn't. Other heavyweight news that happened this week, though, we officially got word of uh, Alexander Usyk is going to be making his heavyweight debut against our guy, Tyrone Spong, which is awesome for Tyrone. Really, really good for him. Uh, that fight's going to be October 12th in Chicago. And look, Tyron's coming into this thing with uh, with one big weapon, and that is he hits harder than just about anybody that's not Deontay Wilder. And I don't even know. He may hit harder than Deontay Wilder. I know that Tyron's told us that he had the UFC record for punching power. That was only smashed by Francis Ngannou. But let's just say he's got, he's got, he's got as uh, uh, Shannon Briggs famously says, he's got hit you with the clothes on, leave you butt naked power. Like it's uh, – it's 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 really really he cracks. Tyron's bunk cracks, but Usyk is one of the most polished boxers in the sport. It's not an easy fight for Tyron Spong. It's really not. It's a big step up. So, that's going to be an interesting one. But if you're going to put it in the category of what could happen, look, it's it's Usyk's heavyweight debut. So, he's bringing up his style but he hasn't been in there with a heavyweight, and Tyrone's not the biggest dude in the world. He's like 6'2". But Usyk's going in there, and he's got to go into a new weight class. He's got to go in there with bigger people and um, has to deal with heavyweight power. So there are those those X factors in it as well. Shannon Briggs also, speaking of the devil, he was uh, showing up at the Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz press conference. They're doing their little world tour. That's finally agreed upon. They're going to fight. So that's exciting. We get in that one. It's in Saudi Arabia. That's unfortunate. Um, I just, look, I liked having the fights in the afternoon yesterday. It was cool. But there's just something about the whole day leading up to a championship fight. It's like an energy. You can't you can't recapture it, you know? You can't. And so having it in Saudi Arabia, it just loses something for me, man. And I'm not even talking about all the political stuff and and, and the scumbaggery that goes on over there with – um, with with uh, with human rights and and uh, obviously with the with the 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 covered up uh, killing and all that stuff, um, with with the journalist and stuff. But I'm talking specifically about just the idea that the world championship is being decided upon in a place where it just has no tie. Like at least with Abu Dhabi yesterday, there's a huge Muslim population, and they they all have some pride in in and watching Khabib fight. He's a big deal over there. With Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua, you tell me you got Mexican boxing fans, some of the most passionate on the planet. British boxing fans, probably the most passionate ones on the planet. If you're not putting it in either one of those locations, it's just dumb to me. It's a it's a stupid decision. But it is what it is. They have decided they're going to go there, get their get their loads of cash. And that's what they got. But it was interesting. Um, yeah, Sh- Shannon storms the uh, the New York press conference. You just hear him, let's go, Shannon. But the thing that's interesting about it is both Ruiz and Anthony Joshua love the guy. So typically when Shannon Briggs storms a press conference, there's a lot of animosity or there's the promoter getting pissed because he's there. Both of those guys loved it. Like you had Anthony Joshua in the midst of the press conference going like, Shannon Briggs, can I get a let's go, champ? You just hear in the background, let's go, champ. And then he goes on saying, like, I'm going to use that as my motivation um, because, you know, Shannon talks about the times that he was knocked down and ballooned up to 400 pounds. And look, AJ's going to need whatever he needs to to get to 
the level to beat Andy Ruiz because this is the this is the big fight for his legacy. It really is. I mean, because he got his ass whooped that last fight, and nobody thought that he had a, a shot of getting his ass kicked, and it was bad. He got he got he got put down a lot. Could have been stopped even earlier in that fight, but it went on even further. So he took an even worse beating. Um, it's a big one for him. It really is. It's 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 a it's a huge it's a huge matchup, and. I don't know if Andy Ruiz is going to be the kind of guy where the championship lifestyle phases him. Like, I don't think this is going to be like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson and Buster getting all big and not the same guy. And I don't think this is going to be Haseem Rockman knocking out Lennox Lewis. Like, I do think that Andy Ruiz is going to come in there with the same skill set, ferocity, all the stuff that he brings. Um, I, I think it's really contingent upon Anthony to come in there for this fight with just a little bit something extra. And who knows if he can? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup that the guys bring to the table. It really is. Um, yesterday we also got word that we had this uh, this go down. So <laughs> Dana White has this move in press conferences where he pretends to be deaf. Like he actually does have hard of hearing. That is a thing with Dana White, but he cranks it up just a little bit extra if it's a topic he doesn't want to hear so speaking of the human rights stuff one of the big things that came out with this Abu Dhabi card was uh Ramzan Kadayev, the uh the Chechenian president um not a great dude watch the real sports on him this guy basically says that he and Putin want to bring the world to its needs with nukes and uh, I believe the term was take the world bend it over and bleep it from behind with our nukes I believe is the route that he went not a great gentleman, but him and Habib are boys, the friends. And so some guy asked Dana White about this, and he goes, uh, yeah, Dana, it basically in my Dana White journalist voice where it's like, yeah, uh, Dana, uh, I saw you guys had Ramzan Kardayev in uh, the, the crowd today. Uh, what's up with that? And Dana just kept doing this. What? What? Who's that? What? Who Who did you say? Ramzan Kardayev, man. Chechnyan president, bad dude, mass murderer. What did, what did he say? I, I can't hear him. Oh, oh, I don't know that guy. That's a move, man. Pretending you're deaf, what are you going to do? Call him a liar? How do you know? Maybe he really is deaf. We know that he's got some hearing troubles. But if you don't want to talk about a topic, you're like, and then a white, uh, I saw, like, basically everybody on this uh, card tested positive for steroids. Your, con- your thoughts? Huh? What? Who? I don't know. It's steroids. What? What did he say? I don't know what he's talking about. It's a dismissal move. It's a, it's a power move by Dana White. Pretending you're deaf. Imagine that's it's only going to get more powerful as he ages, too. Because it's not like Dana White looks like an old man. But he goes out there and uh, pretending that he can't hear. It's a real power play. It's something. But, look, yesterday comes out of it. You have this. Habib, awesome performance over Dustin Poirier. Um, Tony fights, obviously, the fight that you got to make next. I do I, – I, I am curious. I, I, I will say, yesterday did make me a little bit more cu- curious for the GSP matchup. Um, not the Connor one. Like, look, I know what's going to happen in the Connor matchup. Same thing's going to happen. Connor can talk until he's blue in the face about the, the busted foot. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it looks a little bit more bouncy. He's got kicks to, to show his range. But, man, what do you think is going to happen when you throw one of them kicks? You're going to get crumbled up in two seconds by Habib. So, 
Um, just a very impressive performance by him. Oh, and next week we got this coming up. We have Donald Cerrone taking on Justin Gaethje. Uh, really, really fun fight. I would say if you want to look for Connor's next opponent, Connor did reveal he was very close to fighting Justin Gaethje in July. I would say if you want to circle who may be the next guy Conor McGregor faces, look to see how this fight goes down. If it's done in a really spectacular, if it's done in a really spectacular fashion, and I don't know how a Donald Cerrone Justin Gaethje fight won't be fantastic because you want to talk about bad mother bleepers and bad BMF belts and most violent dudes. These two guys are right in line, right in line with all those guys as far as uh, fan-pleasing fighters. But they've both now been linked to Conor McGregor and trying to make those fights happen. I'm sure Donald's a little frustrated with it because it feels like he's teed up that Conor McGregor fight perfectly a couple of times now, and it's never come to fruition. Um, And now that we know that Gaethje versus Conor was a thing, um, that's an interesting one. That's That's absolutely an interesting one. So keep keep your eye on that when it comes to who comes out of that on top next week in Vancouver, I believe, is where this fight fight card is. So always interesting. Plus, it's Cow- Cowboy versus Gaethje. I think it speaks for itself. Even if there was nothing on the line, you watch those guys fight any day of the week. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of that. That's the beauty of the Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz fight. All that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's really what it's come down to. So, yeah. Anyway, that is our show for today. If you missed any of it, you guys can download the podcast. Very excited that we're going to be on uh, at 10 o'clock now throughout the football season. Typically, we've moved back in the past an hour. Super early for people, 9 o'clock on a Sunday. 10 o'clock seems like that right sweet spot. So it's easy for my sleep. I'm happy about it and excited to uh, to stay at this point. But again, we have, uh, we have that all for you. If you guys miss any of the show, it'll be available for you. Just download it a little bit later on. And yeah, man, hope everybody gets through this Sunday. Okay, football is back. Enjoy it as much as we can. Just look. You watched Tua play yesterday? You watched him play yesterday? Looks pretty good, right? Played New Mexico State. Whatever, man. man. He looked good. Trevor Lawrence looked better. What? Did you see that pass he did? You want to do this for two years? I'm cool doing I, it for two years. I, I've been on the two-year You, two year you want to buckle up for two years? I'll Give buckle up. Give me Lawrence up. or Fields. You think I'm not ready for a double roller coaster ride? <laughs> I'm ready for it, too. I'm ready for it, too. Don't, 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 don't tease me with a good time. All you got to remember is... Through this year with the pain, we're going to get really mad at you, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you go out there and throw for 400 yards. Don't try that nonsense, all right? Eyes on the prize, sir. Don't go out there and do your little cool Fitz magic thing. I'm not here for this nonsense. He's throwing four touchdowns today. You know it. I swear to God, if I come in tomorrow and, and, and he was dressed like Conor McGregor at that no press conference, I can't slander him. But that's that that oath that I took is only supposed to be for bad football play. We still you well now we you guys still made an oath. You got to abide by it. Don't ruin this, Ryan. I don't think he will. I think it's impossible, quite frankly, to ruin it because they they're literally going out there with four turnstiles on the offensive line. But if he does, I'm gonna be mad at him. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs>